everyone. Today we're back with another podcast guest episode, um, and we're featuring um, a really, really cool person. Her name is Kelsey, and she is not only a travel lifestyle blogger, but she's visited countless countries. 45, is it? I read on your your blog. 48, yeah. 48 now. 48 countries. Um, She was trained as an opera singer at Northwestern University. Um, She teaches multiple online courses, including German, French, music on Udemy's Skillshare. Um, And the reason I asked her to be on this podcast is because we actually met in a small town in France, like on a bus ride. (laughs) It was in, I I still can't pronounce it. (laughs) Um, Ribouvier, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we met there, and we not only connected because we were the only passengers on the bus, and we're both American, but we're both Chicago natives. That's right. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to talk to you about life before traveling abroad, before you know starting your life as a travel blogger, and maybe talk about your background in Chicago and like being an opera singer. Sure, sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. It really means a lot to me. <laughs> so we, I've moved, we've moved abroad twice. Um, back in 2016, my husband and I had, well, at that point, fiance and I had moved to Germany for about a year and a half so that he could work and I could sing. And then we needed, we were on a, on work visas and then they expired. So we thought, okay, well let's do some tourist visas and go some other places. So we ended up in Croatia to get out of the Schengen zone, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Schengen zone, but it's basically a group of I believe it's 26 countries that you can only stay on the American passport for 90 days in a 180 day period. So basically you can only be there for three months out of six months. And it's a total of all of those countries. So we had to get out of those countries in order to sort of reset the clock for lack of a better word. So we went to Croatia for a few months where we picked up a small cat under a dumpster. And she is still just as much of a pain as she was then, but she's with us now. (laughs) And then we headed over to France, where we stayed for um, almost a year. And oh, it was so nice, Lydia, we were in, uh, we were in a little suburb of Marseille. And it was the first time that I had really been in France for a long time. And my husband speaks French, and I speak like, bonjour. And Those are the only things I remember in French, but it was, it was a lot of fun to live there. And then we, our tourist visa ran out again, so we had to go somewhere else. So we ended up in England for six months. And that's of course the amount of time you can stay as an American tourist without a work visa. And I was traveling quite a bit in the, um, within the UK borders. And then when I finally did take a trip to, um, where did I go? I think to Denmark or something. It's highly unusual for people to stay in the UK so long. So both my husband and I got grilled at the border. They wanted to see bank account statements. They wanted to, they wanted us to prove that we weren't sort of working under the table. So it was all very dramatic. We're like, no, we really are just living here. Right. 
And then we, it was right before COVID and we had basically run, run out of time for all of the tourist visas. And we thought, all right, well, let's go back to the States for a little while. And uh, we ended up in Amsterdam for about three weeks waiting for a plane. So for those of your viewers who ever travel with cats, first of all, I would recommend don't travel with them unless you are literally moving. And if you do have to travel with them, make sure they go underneath the seat in front of you because you never know what's going to happen underneath the plane. But if you're ever flying out of the UK or Ireland, the cats have to go under the plane. So we took a we took a ferry over to France, then a train over to Amsterdam so that they could fly back to the States with us in the cabin. So basically we just sort of um, worked our way around that rule because one of our cats is 18. So he can't be, he can't be underneath the, the, the plane. So uh, we were back in the States for during COVID. And when we were there, we realized how, um, how horrible the American healthcare system is. I'm, I'm trying to avoid all of the swear words here for out of consideration for your lovely viewers. (laughs) But Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're past that. <laughs> yeah, we realized how how crap the the healthcare system is, and even if you are paying for the the top tier healthcare, it's not nearly what you could get in some place like Spain. And so we, um, it was about a year into the pandemic when we started seriously looking into moving to Spain, and there were. Uh, there were two countries that had a visa that we could apply for. And because we're not working here, we're just basically living off of our savings. And um, Portugal and Spain were the two countries that had a visa that allowed us to do that. So we are now here permanently. We plan to get a house in a few years after we apply for a permanent residency. And then after you get permanent residency, you can work again. So we can, um, we can start, I can start teaching more. I can maybe go back into singing more and, um, yeah, we're, we're very excited to be here. It's, it's always a challenge living in a new country. I mean, I, I'm sure you have experienced this with all of the travels that you have been doing as well. But um, we've lived in seven countries or eight countries now, and I think Spain is our our favorite. So I'm not sure about not sure about my husband, but at least Spain has been my favorite because we have some permanency here. Whereas before, as I said, we had basically been going around with with tourist visas, and no matter how you how permanent you try to tell yourself you are, you still have to plan to leave at some point. Where with a residency visa or an eventual residency visa, you can you can stay and set down roots and buy a house and like we we don't want kids, but we do want to be settled. So we're very happy to uh, to be in a place that is settled. And like Spain has the eighth best healthcare in the world. And it's incredibly affordable. It's the the most affordable Western European country. And so I was also an English teacher for a long time. And so as an English teacher, I do struggle a little bit here knowing how difficult it is for people to, to switch their brain into speaking English. And of course, my Spanish is just absolutely horrendous, which is my own fault, of course. But that is something that we've had to to struggle with also to try and wrap our minds around okay now how do we how do we explain our pipe in our sink needs replacement and say it in spanish without any spanish 
<laughs> to the nice little um the the um what's his name the plumber who's here to help us looking very confused right so it's it has its challenges but we're we're glad to be here and um yeah yeah i will i will send it back to you i've talked your ear off no thank you so much for all that background well, first of all, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you found a country that you could finally settle down in. It is nice to have that stability, um, to have that kind of routine and to really get to know a place. Because when you hop around, it's it can be stressful. It's overwhelming. Um, but I mean, Spain seems like a lovely place to settle down in. And honestly, if I were... So I'm planning on studying abroad. And the number one country I want to do that in and kind of live long term is Spain. So to hear oh. your positive experiences is amazing. Oh, absolutely. So what people usually ask when um, when they're trying to figure out if they can move to Spain also is where should I go? Which city? So of course, you are young and energetic and joyful. So you probably don't mind being hot as all get out in the south in Andalusia. But for someone who sweats in when it's snowing outside, we were trying to figure out a place to not be absolutely dead hot. In <laughs> and like Valencia is really, really hot. Don't get me wrong. But it's not as hot as Andalusia. The It's all the, the down south uh, region, which has Granada, um, Sevilla, Cadiz, um, what's the big one? Cordova, all and Ronda, all these really big, beautiful places to go, except in July and August when it is literally 120 degrees Fahrenheit there, and you just want to oh, wow. melt. Here in Valencia, it gets up to about 105 or so. So I mean, it's it's very very hot, and there's humidity because we're right along the ocean, but or the the sea rather, but the part that makes it difficult with living in a Spanish uh, place in a Spanish um, apartment building is that there's very little insulation. So sorry about the, the um, siren, but so there's very little insulation in these buildings. So basically when it's hot outside, it's twice as hot in here when it's cold outside. And actually we've had about 35 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit this week. So it, it does get cold here too. And when it's cold outside it's doubly cold in here so that's a bit of a challenge especially because like back in the states our heating bills were like you know you, you turn your heat on you don't think much about it right our heating bills were um i don't know anywhere between 40 and 60 bucks a month for a one-bedroom apartment here we are on a tiered electrical um charge system so basically from midnight to 8 a.m it's the cheapest from 8 to 10 and 6 p.m to 10 or no from 8 to 10 a.m and then 2 p.m to 6 p.m it's twice that and then from 10 to 2 and 6 to 10 at night it's three times that so basically you want to do nothing in your house between 10 and 2 and 6 and 10. And we're talking not the laundry, not the dishes, not cooking, not showering, not anything. You turn your lights off. That also means no heat or no air conditioning. Uh, when we did leave our air conditioning on 
during the really, really, really hot days when we first moved here, we turned our our AC down to like, I don't know, maybe maybe like 79 or 80. Like it was still really hot, right? Our bill at the end of the month for our teeny tiny squash box apartment was 200 euros. And we had only used it like, I mean, as little as we possibly could. So now, as you can see, I am in a big fluffy blanket. All those oodies that you've probably been hearing about, they are everywhere here. People wear them all day, every day to the office. To the, Oh, yes, there's no air conditioning or heating in office buildings, in doctor's offices, in grocery stores. Actually, in the grocery store, there is a um, there is AC in some of them. So there were certain things that are very, very, like Americans are very, very comfortable with that you walk in and you go, why am I sweating at the doctor's office? You know, you think of the doctor's office as one of those places where you go, oh gosh, it's, you know, freezing out or it's really warm outside. Now it's freezing in here. No, no, not here. Everybody lives among the elements. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Definitely some cons to living abroad. (laughs) Um, like Spain. Is that the case in many European countries like France or is that specific to Spain? No, no, it's all over now. And this is like the UK, the really, really, really expensive electricity is it's at that highest level all the time in the UK. So for example, a friend of mine turned on her oven a few days ago for maybe an hour or two her, she has a tr- an electricity tracker. Her electricity bill went up 22 pounds, which is like $33 for turning the oven on for like an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it is, it is no joke. And like, if you, um, if you turn, if you take a shower and you have to, you have to turn the water heater on, right? So here, a lot of times the water heaters are off. So if you want to take a shower, you have to you have to click the water heater to like heat up the water basically. So when you do that each time it takes about 10 euros worth of energy. So wow. it's a lot. And uh, that is something we weren't expecting. Just like the intricacies of trying to figure out how to maintain your daily washing regimen without emptying your bank. Well, okay. Definitely something to keep in mind. <laughs> consider Learning to live abroad. Yeah. You just, yeah, it's those things like you don't think about before you take the, uh, that step to move because, you know, it seems so picturesque and lovely and hypothetically to do. Yeah. But, you know, when you're actually in the day to day, you have to figure these things yeah. out. And I mean, I don't want to discourage you from moving abroad because, like, mind you, those are the. Th- oh, no, definitely not. I'm, I'm still all in. Good, good, good. I'm glad because, like, I mean, first of all, you're, you're young, you're flexible, you're, you're smart, like you'll figure out how to go, okay, well, this is what I can do to sort of counterbalance that. And that's something also that people then have to sort of change their, their mindset on. It's like, so when we first moved in, we had an incredibly leaky roof and it rained here like that first week when we got here, more rain than it had rained in 135 years on one day. (laughs) So we had like 17 pots and pans all over collecting the water on like the first week we got here. It was just horrendous. Then there were ants in our kitchen. There was like stuff falling down off the roof. So when when we got here and had to deal with that, it's first of all, it's so overwhelming. But then you have to go, okay, well, why am I here? Like, yes, this all sucks, but this could kind of suck anywhere. So Mm -hmm. then you finally 
do get out of the house and go, oh, there's tapas and they're two euros. And oh, look at all these friendly people. And oh, that we have this big park all the way around the city. So the background of the park, it's called the Turia. It used to be the Turia River, which uh, split in half, basically, hundreds of years ago. And it um, it used to be this giant eight kilometer circle around Valencia. I give tours in my spare time. So that's how I know all these weird facts. <laughs> but um, in the 1950s, they had their 95th flood, which, I mean, it destroyed eight, I think it was 80 homes. Oh, sorry, sorry. There we go. I think it was 80 homes and killed 50 people. Or so. I mean, it, it it was a very, very bad flood. And so the government decided to reroute the river. And I mean, I'm not a river architect, but rerouting a river seems very complicated. And absolutely it was. It took about 15 years for them to eventually actually follow through with it. And they decided to make the riverbed a highway. Now, Valencians are very proud of their clean water, their clean air. Um, sidebar, all those Valencian oranges you see here, those are actually uh, bitter oranges. And the reason there are so many of them is because they suck up the toxins from the air. So you don't want to eat those oranges you see. But anyway, so that's why our air and our water is so clean, because we have these cleaning systems all going all year round. And so when Valencians heard that there's going to be this huge highway circling the city, they thought, oh my gosh, this is horrible. We don't want this. It's going to destroy our good, our good quality air. Our, what is it? The air quality index is just going to tank. People are going to hate it. So they had an actual riot and said, we will not be, we will not be having this, this highway. Um, and so the, the, um, officials said, said, um, well, how do you feel about a park? And people immediately put their protesting signs down and took their little dogs and their children home. And they said, they said, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll take a park. So now there is what is called the Turia Park. It is an eight kilometer or like, what is that? Like five and a half mile, um, circle around the city. And it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's very well maintained. There are, um, I think there are nine bridges, four of which are from the 15th century. I mean, it's just amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. And we don't have to worry about any of the flooding or the, the damage that the rains could, could have because that really, really caused a lot of damage and a lot of, a lot of, cost a lot of lives too. So I am very happy to be here after the Turia Park has been implemented so that we don't have to worry about flooding. And also the nice thing about Valencia is that we are about four kilometers away from the water. So if there is for some reason a tsunami or whatnot, the actual city itself is a little bit farther away from the, the shore. It's considered to be a, a uh, seafront city, but it's not actually a seafront city. So you get the benefit of the water, but not necessarily have to deal with it if something really bad happens. So all of those things considered... We are, we are adjusting always, but it's nice to, to have a community of people who are similar to you. They're out of their element. They're trying to figure out touchstones that they, that they can enjoy while they are in the middle of adjustments. And then there's a joke about how people say, well, I've never met anyone from Valencia. And Valencians will say, well, yeah, because once you come here, you never leave.
<laughs> it's true. I mean, everybody I've met has said, well, yeah, once we came here, we, we knew we had to stay. It's amazing. It's a bit, it has big city resources with low city prices or with, with uh, small city prices. So it's one of those places that is really, really good to be if you are, um, if you are not wanting to spend all of your money and you want sort of a, a small town feel with the options of a big city, with the resources of a big city. Hmm. Well, okay. I can't wait to visit Valencia now. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Now, that being said, though, Madrid, there is a, um, a bullet train to Madrid for like nine euros. Now, mind you, it's not actually nine euros. Like every now and then it's nine euros. Usually it's like 60. So don't get too excited about the trains because they'll say, oh, they're really cheap, but they're often not. <laughs> but if you do find one that's that's really cheap, you can get to Madrid for like nine bucks. And Madrid is really beautiful. It's very, very expensive in the city center. But it, I mean, it's huge. It is a massive, massive city. And it, I mean, it's like New York. They have different sections of the city that are entirely different from the other ones. And the whole area has a lot of money put into it from, you know, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But then, of course, we all like Barcelona, too. Barcelona is beautiful. Have you been to Barcelona? Never been to Spain. Oh, you haven't been to Spain? Okay, well, I haven't been to Spain. <laughs> you have to start in Barcelona because as much as I like Valencia... Barcelona is the place to go. Um, I've been to Barcelona twice, I think. Maybe just once. Anyway, it's absolutely stunning. All of the Gaudi uh, architecture. Have you heard of Gaudi? I have, yes. So, yeah, so he's like this really um, eclectic, eccentric architect who made at least four of the big attractions in Barcelona, maybe more. Two of them were just these like buildings in the city and then just like housing buildings. One is called the, the honeycomb house, which actually looks like a honeycomb. And the other one just has this really beautiful facade with like mosaics everywhere. And then there is the La Sagrada Familia, which is this gigantic, gorgeous cathedral, which these are probably the pictures you've seen on um, like on touristy websites and whatnot. And the, uh, the cathedral is actually supposed to be completely finished for the very first time in 2026. So since it was, it started its construction a hundred and however many years ago, or, you know, wh whenever it started, the construction is finally supposed to end after over a hundred years. And then the Oh, okay. no, it's, so it's really beautiful. So the actual completion is going to be a really big, probably a big party, knowing Spain. It's going to be a really big party. And then um, the Park Guel, or Park Huel, I'm not sure how they say it. I'll have to ask somebody. But that is like the massive mosaic park that um, it's like 16 or 17 euros to get into. And there's a timed slot. So you get 15 minutes to get in line and get in the door. <laughs> But um, it's, I mean, there's a reason why they give you a time slot because it is so popular that everybody wants to go. Everybody wants to see it. So it's really beautiful. I can't wait to hear your your thoughts when you do finally visit Spain. How exciting. Oh, yeah, that that is really exciting. Like the first, after 100 years, it's finally being complete, completed. That's a big project. Right. To be able to like this. Yeah, very much so. Cool. Um, but yeah, Spain is like, 
like I said, is my number one place I would like to visit. Um, Barcelona, I've I've just heard good things. I know they have a big problem with over-tourism, though, and I kind of talked about that in my last podcast, kind of the problems that over-tourism causes. Um, but, I mean, would you say, like, if you visit, you know, just for a couple days that it's it gives you enough time to explore Barcelona and to really understand it? Or is it just kind of... You can adjust your itinerary, obviously, to, to how many days you're there. But in terms of over-tourism, I think the way to sort of help not contribute to the problem, I don't know if you're going to help solve the problem, but at least help not contribute to the problem, is to stay in accommodations with locals. So that was the reason I, everywhere I've gone, I've stayed in Airbnbs and I never stay in a, an entire apartment as they, as they say, I always stay with someone with, with a local who's there because that was the original purpose of Airbnb was to bring money to the locals who live there. And so I usually try and find like, you know, a grandmother or like a local mom and daughter or something. I only stay with women or like couples, obviously. But I, I know there are lots of men on the platform who are hosts, which I'm sure many of them are totally fine, right? But like, it's just, it just makes me feel better. It makes my husband feel better if, because um, often I'm traveling by myself. So it just makes everybody have a little bit less stress if I am with a host that is um, either just a woman or a couple. So... The, I would recommend anywhere you go to stay with a local person when you visit to then at least, and also then you automatically have a tour guide basically. Now they're probably not going to take you around the city, but you could at least ask them like, Hey, I want to go here, here, and here. And I have this many days. What do you think? And that you, you automatically have a local at your fingertips, which is I mean, that's so valuable. And especially if you're lost, if your phone gets stolen, if you get food poisoning, I mean, just like anything like that. And you do have the, you do have this local person who happens to be your host at your fingertips that can be really helpful with, with the traveling process to, to enjoy yourself while you're there. So yeah, I mean, I would say maybe four or five days if you're, you know, moving pretty, pretty quickly would be fine. I think I only spent three days there. And I, of course, would have liked more. Like, you always want more time. You know, everywhere you go, you never, you never think, oh, that was too much. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I'm always like, oh, I wish I had a month in each place. Although the, mm-hmm. the place that I would like to spend a full month in is Japan. I have only been in the in the Asian countries. I have only been to Thailand and China, and I would really like to to spend a good month in Japan to like really experience that. I mean, I'd like to spend the month everywhere, but <laughs> you know, as you as and especially also since we just moved. I'm getting used to, I mean, now, of course, it's okay. We've been here for about a year, so there's not as much adjustment going on. And like, I have a social circle now, so it's not as overwhelmingly different. But like, I don't know, I felt like the last year where I was traveling a lot, I was traveling probably every weekend and making big trips longer than two weeks every month or so. So like, I was really, really busy all the time. And it just felt like, it just felt so exhausting that uh, I think when I met you in, in France, that was, I think I took two more big trips after that. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to stay home for a while. (laughs) 
happens. Let's see what happens. Because like my father-in-law is like insistent that we're only here so that I can travel. But I mean, he's not wrong per se, but he's also not right. Like we didn't move here so that I could go bop around. Like I bopped around because we moved here, but we didn't move in order to do that. And now, now that I have done that, it's so nice to be able to be like, well, I'm going to stay home for a while and get to know the city that I'm in, get to make friends. Um, there are a few Facebook groups that are only for women. So like girls, um, girls in Valencia or girls living in, you know, whatever the, the local group names are called. And those have been really helpful with meeting people because a lot of times if you are on the expat groups, it's a lot of single guys, which is, I mean, obviously they have a right to be here too. Right. But like, I'm obviously not searching to make friends with single men. So I want to make friends with other young women. And it's, it's been really nice to find these groups and go, Oh, look, there's going to be 10 other people about my age stage of life situation at this place on this day. Heck yes, I want to go. And so like, I was telling my, my mom, how like this has been the most social I think I've ever been. And I mean, obviously I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm chatty all the time, but like, it's nice to actually have people who are chatty back to me all the time. <laughs> and, like, especially with moving so much, it's hard to make and, and traveling so much too. It's hard to make good, close friendships that last for a long time. Cause you go, Oh, it's so great to meet you that one time. Okay. Bye. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh. So do you find these groups on like Facebook, Instagram? Like what's the platform you use to join these expat or meeting other female so or female travelers? Yeah, yes, yeah. so you can meet them on um the website Meetup, but I find that that's more based toward the older generation, like grandparents age. <laughs> um, some young people use it, but I haven't found good friends on Meetup. Maybe there are some people who have had luck with that, but I usually find them on Facebook, honestly, because those are the the people who ha- who are sometimes just in town for the week, or people who are who have full on moved here and say, Hey, I've, I've moved here with my family and my two kids and my dog and my ferret. Anyone want to go walk a ferret this weekend? You know, it's like random things you can, you can see on there. And sure enough, there's somebody else going, Oh, I also want to walk my ferret. Sounds great. So oh, cool. Yeah, Facebook. All right. For those, those types of things. Yeah, I, I mean, I love all the tips. Um, that allows you to connect with other travelers because, you know, that's a huge part of your experience is the people you meet along the way. Um, I recently found this one app. It's called Nomad Her. Have you heard of it? Oh, uh, I think I've seen a, an ad for it or maybe. Tell me more about it. What is it? So it's basically like a Facebook group um, where you can, can, you know, meet other travelers, but it's specifically for female travelers. So only women can join, which is, which is, you know, like you said, (laughs) Um, if you're looking for that, then that's awesome. And um, people from all over the world um, are on this platform and you can, you know, create meetups, you could just exchange advice for traveling and it's it's a really wonderful female traveler community. Oh, that is so cool, Lydia. Oh, what a great idea. 
Yeah, I'll send you um, the name of it after this, and like you could download it. It's called Nomad Her. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really it's one of those smaller platforms, but I feel like it can grow to be really big. Oh, that is so cool. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I would before we have to cut this off. I know you're short on time. Can you just talk a little bit about your life as a digital nomad because? That is something that significantly shapes the way you travel. I mean, it's it's your number one source of income, right? Like these these side gigs that you do. You don't. It's like your full time career, right? Exactly. So I have about eleven side gigs, and that's how I make money. Oh my gosh, girl, they make money would be a stretch here, but that is how I pretend to pay my bills. Um, <laughs> and for all of you young people out there, I would recommend trying to get some sort of passive income. And passive income is basically something you put in the work for at the beginning, you post it, you upload it, you do whatever you do. Now, we're not talking YouTube. YouTube is great, but YouTube is really hard to get to get income for without doing from without doing a lot of work. But passive income, you can either make courses on Udemy, on Skillshare, on uh, a variety of different things. And then basically after you post them, you just, it's like writing a book. After you are finished, you get royalties as the months go on. And a lot of times you'll get a lot up front and then it'll dwindle down. Or if your course gets really popular down the line, then it'll uh, increase a little bit. But I would recommend doing as much of that as, as you can, even if it's just one posting one thing a week or one thing a month because anything you put on websites like this stay there forever so you can either get um you can get no money every month which i mean is probably is is likely the first few months that you're on there or you could do very well a lot of the like median course medium um like the average you'll make from these first courses is maybe 10 to 20 bucks a month. But the more courses you have on there or the more resources or the more uh, classes you publish, the more money you'll get. And so that is a huge way to, um, to finance traveling without having to get up every day and go, okay, how can I, how can I make money today? How can I busk on the side of the road and make, you know, how can I sing for my supper? Oh, I hate that phrase. But like, as a singer, I would often hear that, right? Like, oh, do you sing for your supper when you travel? It's like, no, (laughs) no, I put in work beforehand so that I can enjoy, enjoy myself when I'm traveling. So I would say do as much as you can every day to build up a long-term income that you don't have to work for. Because that's that's the dream, isn't it? Now, mind you, I still work all the time making all these new resources. But for example, when I got COVID, um, I got it here. And, and we were we were triple vaxxed when we moved. So it wasn't a like, we knew eventually we'd get it. And we knew it probably wouldn't be very bad because of all the you know medical research and all that. But Um, when I did get it, of course I had to take like a week off and that wasn't a big deal because with passive income, the more you put on, the more you make. But if you take a week off, it doesn't matter. You still just make the same amount that you made last week and no big deal. So I would, uh, I would encourage you to, to do things that involve passive income because that is the, I mean, that's basically how you can retire early. Not that I'm anywhere near retiring early, but that is how people do that. Mm. So 
I remember you told me that piece of advice when we first connected, um, just how you're able to afford these travel travel experiences. Um, and I actually looked into it after you told me about that that um, platform, Udemy. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of curious, is it possible to make passive income if you don't already have like a following or some kind of, you know, online presence already? Can anyone do this? Oh, good question. Yeah. So of course I'm, I'm on Instagram and all of those things, but the passive income is totally unrelated to my traveling. I do passive income uh, resources regarding like German teaching and French teaching and um, like little kid materials for, for elementary schools. Like it's, it's a totally different genre. So, I mean, having an online presence helps if your online presence is related to what you're selling. So in your case, you could say, well, Hey, I'm this, you know, I'm this super cool, like podcast owner. Like, this is so great. Here's all my, here are all my links, whatnot. And that would help your, your, your podcast in itself. But if you were selling, I don't know, like, um, if you were making resources for an econ class in high school, that wouldn't like your, your social media wouldn't necessarily help. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't like help it. So yes, anyone can do it. Everyone should do it. And it doesn't matter which platform you use. It's just, it's so nice. I remember at the very end of that month, when I first started this going, wait, I, I got this and that's going to keep going. The more I do this, that's just going to keep happening. And my husband's like, who's a big proponent of this also, he's like, yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna keep getting bigger, the more popularity your courses or your resources or whatever you are doing, make so or the more popular that they become. So yes, highly recommended. And uh, yes, would, would encourage you to do it. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely start looking into that. Because <laughs> you know, who doesn't need more passive income? I know, right? Like who does extra money on the side, right? Exactly, especially with all these traveling that hopefully we can continue doing. Um, Before we wrap up, do you have any last minute advice for um, aspiring travelers looking to either start their own adventures, visiting multiple countries, um, or living abroad even? Ooh, yes. Don't wait. Go immediately. If you are scared to go by yourself, for lack of a better word, get over it. Because as soon as you go, you've probably experienced this too, Lydia. As soon as you go, you will go, what was I waiting for? This, like, of course, there, as moving abroad has taught me and other expats, there's always things to get used to. Like, you do have to be a little bit more concerned with safety. You do have to try and make some connections immediately when you get there, if you are feeling lonely. But um, go if you have the financial ability to go, first of all, don't take out loans to travel. That's just, that's how to travel yourself into debt. And that's a terrible idea. So only if you can afford it, um, then do make those plans. Go by yourself. Everyone will say, aren't you scared? And you might be scared and that's okay. But as soon as you'll get there, you'll go, I, I don't even care. This is so great. I'm having so much fun or, um, yeah, just don't wait for your future to come meet you. Swim out to it. Go go get what you want. And I use Skyscanner to find all of my flights. Mm. Uh, I recently found a trip from Spain to Italy for three euros round trip. So don't, uh, don't pay for really expensive flights just because you have a time constraint. I would say find the flights that are really, really cheap and try and work your work schedule around those cheap flights. 
Because otherwise you're going to spend so much money for these two weeks of vacation. And like, you always hear Americans talk about how like, okay, I've got my two weeks of vacay. And it's like, that is the time that prices just skyrocket. So see what you can do to uh, avoid having those really high price times be the only time you travel. Yes, I think that's amazing advice. Um, just do it scared. Do it scared. Yes. Oh, I love that, Lydia. Oh, that's great. I'm using that all the time. That's <laughs> Because, like you said, you just, once you get out there and you start exploring the world, I think that's what travel taught me most is that the world is so much more accessible than you think. You just have to get out there, experience it for yourself, and if it's a priority for you, if travel is a priority, like I like I've reiterated in my past podcast, then you'll make it happen. It will it will manifest if you believe in yourself and you believe in your dreams. That's right. That's right, Lydia. Oh well, thank you so much for for taking the time. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you again. <laughs> All right, talk to you soon.